Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. But I'm excited about the Word of the Lord this morning, and we will be turning our attention again to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. And as you know, we studied uh, these letters this past Wednesday during Growth University. But before we read our text this morning, I would like to turn your attention to one of my favorite aspects of American history, the space race. I've been intrigued by all things NASA since I visited the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral as a Indiana Bible College student on Corral Tour. And what was really special about the experience that I had at Cape Canaveral was that our corral was actually given a private tour of the facility by a former Bible quizzer who was a staff member at that time and a licensed minister of the United Pentecostal Church. So that is pretty cool. And um, he was actually at the time one of, I believe he told us three people that was involved in the countdown. He was one of the people that got to say T minus 10. I mean, how amazing is that? And he was a Bible quizzer. It's very important to me that you know that detail. But he took us to the room, actually. We couldn't go inside, but we could see through a window where his desk was, where he would sit when he would do that actual countdown. And we got to go into the press room where the podium was with the big NASA logo on the front where they would field questions after launches and so forth. So let's just say that by the end of that experience, my heart was exploding with patriotism. So of course, when the Ellis Five went to Houston a few years ago, we made a pilgrimage to the Johnson Space Center. Both were truly amazing experiences and just fueled my enthusiasm for all things NASA. And now my Ava Mary shares my affinity for NASA, and that makes me so happy. But I love American history, and for me, one of the most amazing aspects of our NASA journey are the incredible stories that comprise its history, specifically in its genesis. A couple years ago, I preached a message in which I made reference to the book and movie Hidden Figures. But as one looks into the early days of America's space program, it is fueled by patriotism. And the sacrifices of approximately 2 million men and women from government and industry who work together to make it all possible. All for a cause, all for the good of mankind, all done to help secure a better, brighter future for America. And right in the middle of America's journey to space are two Buckeyes. Man, that makes me so proud. I love the great state of Ohio. I'm a Midwest girl, and I am proud of it. I've been in scenarios where people have tried to tease me about being from Ohio, like we're just a bunch of farmers playing in the cornfields because there's 
nothing to do. And I am quick to point out that I am proud to be a Buckeye because we make presidents and astronauts here, okay? So get off of me, as my dad used to say. This makes me want to flex. I don't want to hurt my jacket, like the bishop would say. But can I get an OH? Oh, man, that sounded good in here. Thank you very much. But some of the greatest moments and quotes in our history have come through the space race, specifically through two of our own here in Ohio, Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta and John Glenn from Cambridge. While Neil Armstrong was the first man to step on the moon, John Glenn was the first American to orbit the Earth, circling it three times in February of 1962. Glenn was a United States Marine Corps aviator, an engineer, an astronaut, a businessman, and a politician. He was a U.S. senator and later became the oldest person to fly in space. What a guy, Mr. John Glenn. But what can be lost on us as we celebrate the accomplishments of the men and women who put Americans in space is the incredible risk and sacrifice that they and their families made at that time. See, there were no precedents and no guarantees. There was no playbook or roadmap, so to speak. They were making the playbook and the roadmap. They literally made history. And John Glenn would play a key role in blazing the trail for the Apollo missions. His mission aboard the capsule he named Friendship 7 was quite extraordinary. Leave planet Earth, complete three war- orbits all around it, and return safely back. No one knew if he would survive the mission physically. No one was certain what would happen to him upon reentry. And so the big day was originally scheduled in December of 1961. And then due to some technical issues and unforeseen problems, it was pushed back to January the 13th. There were problems with the Atlas rocket that would serve as the space capsule's launching pad, and then that caused another two-week delay. And then the launch was delayed again on January the 30th after a fuel leak was discovered, and then weather delays. A man by the name of Scott Carpenter was Glenn's backup pilot for the mission. And despite the frustration of the unending postponements, Scott Carpenter claimed that he and John Glenn were philosophical about the delays. In an interview in 2002, Carpenter said, the delays didn't bother each of us much. It gave us more time to be ready. Finally, with all the mechanical issues solved and fair weather forecasted, Glenn was once again strapped into Friendship 7 early on the morning of February the 20th, 1962. And I have a clip for you. We can play it now. Correct. The ready light is on. Eject Mercury umbilical. Oil evacuate. Mercury umbilical clear. Mercury is evacuate. Lights on. All recorders to fast. T-minus 18 seconds and counting engine start. May the wee ones be with you, Thomas. Good Lord, ride all the way. Godspeed, John Glenn. 10, 9, 
man, I love that. I get chills watching footage like that. Godspeed, John Glenn. Imagine with me this morning, though, what it would have been like for John Glenn waiting for such an experience indefinitely, waking up to more technical issues. Not today, John. The next day, mechanical failure, a leak. Not today. Now there's a bad weather front moving in. I don't know when it's going to be game day, John. What an emotional roller coaster it must have been for everybody involved in the launch. Waiting to make history. Waiting to see what few had ever seen. A world beyond this planet. Some delays completely outside of their control, leaving them to wait. For John Glenn, it would be the greatest adventure of his lifetime. And for the team at NASA, it would be a monumental day, years in the making. While NASA exploits are, for most of us, just highlights of the American story, I would say that we are living the same scenario that Carpenter and Glenn experienced in 1962. We are waiting. But we're not just waiting for COVID-19 to be a distant memory. We are not just waiting for normal to commence. But we are waiting for that day, the day of the coming of the Lord. And so this morning, I want to preach to you on this thought, Another day to be ready. We're in good company, Calvary. We are certainly not the first generation of the church to be anxiously waiting for Jesus' return. As we read through the New Testament epistles, it is remarkable to see how often the writers make reference to the coming of the Lord. It's important for us to know that much of what Paul and Peter wrote concerning Jesus' return was for the purpose of clarifying that Jesus had not yet returned. When studied, it is clear that, specifically in the book of 2 Thessalonians, there were rumors that Christ had already returned. Let's look at it in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, for the early church, the hope of Jesus' triumphant return was fresh to them. It was imminent according to their expectation. And at the time of these writings, we're just a couple of generations into the church that was born on the day of Pentecost and led by Jesus' disciples. What we must understand is that the promise of Christ's return was especially critical to the morale of the New Testament church. We know the gospel was spread. We know that churches were established and the disciples did do greater things than Jesus did, just like he had said. But the early church faced much persecution. And if you remember from Wednesday, Peter remarks that he is writing from Babylon. Life for a Christian under Roman rule 
was far from easy. Martyrdom was a grim reality at the time. And living under those adverse conditions, the believer's morale was lifted by the hope of the coming of the Lord. Maranatha became the common greeting of the oppressed believers, replacing the Jewish greeting of shalom, which means peace. The word Maranatha is composed of two words which translate to our Lord comes or the Lord is coming. Paul used the word Maranatha at the conclusion of his first letter to the Corinthians, reminding his readers, our Lord cometh. Early Christians reportedly used this word combination as a sort of watchword. The use of the word added special emphasis on a particular statement. And although the church knew, based on what Jesus had told them, there would be trouble, there would be hard times, they fully anticipated his return to happen in their lifetime. And from that truth, they drew comfort in their present hardships. Paul would tell the church in Thessalonica in chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words words. The coming of the Lord was a source of motivation and inspiration. Maranatha, take heart, Jesus is coming soon. The first century church reminded one another of the hope that they had in their daily conversations. And yet here we are in 2020. We still await the coming of the Lord. And I think that this season has caused many of us to consider the timing of it in light of all the trouble that this world is in right now. Reading the news these last seven weeks is like reading Jesus' words in Matthew 24, verses 6 through 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places there can be no denying that we are living in the certain times of which Jesus spoke and yet we are waiting we are watching and more than ever i believe we are praying for the coming of the lord the rapture of the church. Later in Matthew 24, in verse 44, Jesus gives this very important caveat to what he is sharing. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
And Revelation chapter 13 verse 10 gives us context for all that was revealed to John in that book when he saw the end time. He literally saw the end of the world unfold. Here is a call, the Bible says, for the endurance and the faith of the saints. This morning, I think we can relate to John Glenn and Scott Carpenter. We have been preparing for and hoping for It seems out of reach sometimes. We can relate to the first century church. We anticipate it now more than ever. We look forward to it. We know it will happen. We've heard about it. We've been talking about it and encouraging each other with that hope for a long time. No doubt some of us have literally looked up to the heavens in this time and said, even so, come quickly Lord Jesus, and yet we continue to wait. Let us turn our attention now to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water And through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years As one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire And dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are closer now than we have ever been. But my question for us this morning is are we living like it? Do our priorities reflect? The fact that we believe that Jesus is coming. Do the plans that we have acknowledge it? If there's anything we have learned through all of this, is that 
at the end of the day, there isn't a whole lot on this earth that really matters to us. Crisis brings clarity. And what we might not think about often due to the hurried pace of our lives is now glaring and obvious to us because our lives have come to a screeching halt. And 2 Peter 3 gives us profound challenge and insight as we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are two key elements to this text that I want to point us towards this morning. Number one, the Lord's patience is what delays his return. I find that particularly compelling in light of the way that our patience is being tested right now. There's so much uncertainty. There are so many questions few would dare to answer. But what about this question? When will the Lord return? 2 Peter 3.9 is a verse that is used often to encourage us as we wait for God to answer our prayers. It inspires us by the assurance of the fact that God is not slow or slack to keep his promises. But I believe that it is very important to us this morning to understand that guarantee in its original context, which is the coming of the Lord. The apostle Peter is telling us that the Lord's delay in returning is out of his great mercy. He waits to give people the opportunity to repent and turn to him. His delay this morning is motivated by his great love for people. He does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved and ready. And so he waits Be assured, it's not because it will not happen. My dad used to say, if you have enough faith to believe that Jesus came the way that he came the first time, you have enough faith to believe that he will come the way he said he will come the second time. The earth and the heavens will be dissolved, Peter said. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, just like this book says there will be. We have not missed it, just like Peter was assuring them he has not yet returned. The Lord delays to give the world more time to be ready. And as we ask questions like why and when right now, Peter makes it abundantly clear to us that he is patient towards you and I, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. It is the patience of the Lord that delays him. It is his mercy, as Scott Carpenter put it, that gives us more time to be ready He delays for those who know and are not ready. He delays for those who do not know so that they can be ready. And I would submit to you today 
to prayerfully consider God's mercy that is very present in this moment in our lives. We have been given the gift of time in an unprecedented way. More time than we want to have, if we're honest. But we have time to be ready, to reflect, and to reprioritize our lives. When all of this started, I had just returned from a quiz trip. And I remember just coming back to a very different world than when I had left. And I felt like I was so behind because while everybody else was scurrying around grabbing groceries and toilet paper, I was bouncing down the highway with the quiz heads. And so I, I was just shaken mentally. I felt such emotional and mental chaos, scrambling, trying to find things that I thought we needed, trying to get our family prepared for lockdown. And yet in the midst of such confusion, there was great clarity for me. All that really mattered to me was that my family was safe and that they were healthy. All that mattered to me as I went to six different grocery stores was that should any of us get sick, we were ready to meet the Lord because crisis brings clarity. And in more ways than not, our worlds are painfully simple now. We have no sure plans. There's not much on the calendar for the next few weeks and Maybe even months, only Jesus knows. But quickly as I hasten, I want to look at the second key element from this text for us this morning. Peter poses a powerful challenge. In verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What manner of persons? Such conviction and charge in those words. What kind of people, the NIV puts it, ought you to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives. And so number two, how will we live our lives with the promise of the Lord's return? Peter makes it plain. All that is present will literally be dissolved someday. Think about what that word implies. When something is dissolved, it is as if it was never there to begin with. What a perspective as we look around at our lives and what we thought really mattered a few weeks ago. So many things have changed. So many things removed from our daily lives. I realize today that talking about the coming of the Lord does not take away all the questions or all of the anxiety that 
we're battling right now. But Paul said we could find comfort and that we should comfort one another with these words. But if these words aren't a source of comfort to us today, we really need to get to a place in our hearts where they are, where we have a sense of assurance that we are ready or we are making ourselves ready. And so today, as your pastor and your friend, I ask you, what are you doing to be ready? What kind of people are we becoming here at the Calvary Church? What kind of church will people find when they can come back to 11970 Ken Road? How are you leading your family right now in anticipation of the Lord's return? What changes are you making? What changes are you willing to make to ensure that you are ready? And finally, who are you helping to be ready? I understand the heaviness and the weightiness of this moment. And so I want to pray for you that the Lord would talk to you right now in the comfort of your home. I encourage you, if you feel like it's prudent, go ahead and kneel by your chair. There is a powerful presence of God that is ready to be released into your heart as you see God's face. Lord, we come to you in humility. God, we are broken as a nation and as a people by all that we cannot control. There is so much noise, and yet the silence in our lives is making us uncomfortable and frustrated. So many things, God, that we want to do, so many plans that we had that have been changed or taken away from us, and we find ourselves with time to think. We find ourselves reflecting, not just on what life was like, but what life will be like in the future. And with all of our praying and all of our reflecting, Oh God, I feel your voice. I hear your mercy say another day to be ready. For surely you will come. And even though the church has waited for thousands of years for that day, it is because of your mercy that you are waiting. I believe, Lord, it is your mercy that has given us this season to slow down, to hear your voice, to recalibrate our lives, to say, at the end of the day, all that really matters is that we are safe and we are saved and ready for the rapture. And so whatever, God, you have to do to get our attention, to help us make ready, to make decisions now while we can.
to do life differently, to be closer to you, to renew our resolve like never before, to be ready how we need you. In Jesus' name. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.